You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Washington Health Report. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. Our topic today is the cost of pharmaceutical drugs. Why are they so expensive? Today we're talking to Mary Agnes Carey, an award-winning healthcare reporter for Congressional Quarterly in Washington, D.C. We'd like to ask her to tell us why they're so expensive and what, uh, if anything, can be done about that. Uh, Mary Agnes Carey has covered health care in Washington since 1997. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Now, uh, we know what drug makers say about the cost of drugs. The numbers that they throw around uh, vary a bit, but it's usually something like $800 million or a billion dollars to develop uh, one drug. Uh, do we believe that? Well, there's certainly some merit to that, and it also could be criticized. I mean, they argue about the number of basically things they have to throw on the wall to see if it sticks, the number of things they put before FDA, which are approved, which are not approved. But there's certainly criticism that perhaps there's too many, if you will, me-too drugs in development, a drug that now you may take it three times a day, well, let's reduce that usage to one, once a day, for example. If they find a market in that, they will pursue it. Uh, they might look for different variances on existing drugs, and that's where the criticism comes in on what they're spending their money on developing. So the idea is that they should be looking for new drugs rather than copying uh, a competitor's drug? Is that the idea? That's certainly one criticism. It's usually more of taking an existing drug they've already put on the market and reformulating it somehow. For example, they may have a patent and make small changes in labeling, or there's been some criticism, something as minor as changing uh, the color of the pill or the structure of the pill in some other way, minor changes to extend a patent. There's currently ongoing reviews of that at the FTC, and that's a discussion on Capitol Hill about patents and so on, but that's another common criticism. So are, are these fair criticisms? I mean, these folks are, are uh, have investors who've put up money and who want to make money. You know, all these criticisms, uh, should we accept them or, or do we think they're overblown? Well, I think that there's some merit to them, but the big problem is the secrecy in within the drug industry, but that's for proprietary reasons. I mean, you're not going to go out and advertise and tell the world what you're investing your R&D in because that would tip off your competitor. And uh, that's something that in this free market system, nobody really wants to do. So you can, I think you can take it from both sides, but there certainly are criticisms of what they invest their money in. Are they going after the drugs that they need to be invested in? Uh, the drug industry, as you note, has its own statistics. They talk a lot about thousand new drugs in the pipeline, looking at things for Alzheimer's and strokes, cystic fibrosis, arthritis. If we were in a different system where they would tell you what they're going after, what they're trying to develop, it would be a different ballgame, but that's not where we are. Now, uh, part of the, one of the big players, obviously, is the, is the drug maker's favorite federal agency, the Food and Drug Administration. The, the FDA approved uh, something like a, uh, the number of drugs approved last year uh, was something close to a historic low. Is the FDA uh, complicating problems for them, and should some of this criticism be directed away from the drug makers and at the agency? Well, an interesting issue in that debate is, according to a federal law that's been reauthorized twice, it's going to be reauthorized again this year, it's bringing up this whole issue of the drug industry helps fund the reviewers at FDA who do the drug reviews. And so both sides of the debate, both um, FDA will talk about this, the drug industry, and even consumer groups that are, that are critical of this process will talk about how some drug reviews have quickened and you've gotten more drugs to market after this new funding stream was, was uh, approved and has been funded by the industry. But there are criticisms about that link, and as Congress reauthorizes this bill, 
consumer groups are now saying, should we take the uh, drug money, the drug industry money, out of the market for the review process? But if you do that, will the federal government fund that from general revenues? And as you probably are aware, uh, money in Washington is pretty tight these days, and so it would be very, very difficult to take these user fees out of the equation. How much do the user fees provide? What is the amount per year? They fund something like 52% of the funding or the review process, so it's a significant amount. And an FDA witness at a congressional hearing told the House panel that I was listening to, if you take user fees out, we're going to have a pretty big gap there to cover. And Congress doesn't seem willing right now to step up to the plate to cover that. So the user fees are part of the equation, will stay part of the equation. They will increase under the reauthorization of this particular measure. And so Congress is aware of that, uh, is moving forward with it, and They're looking at all other issues involving the FDA, like the drug safety process, the post-market review process, and what FDA is doing to keep uh, to look at these drugs once they hit the market and monitor them. Now, this this measure is the uh, Prescription Drug User Fee Act. Is there a bill now, or are committees uh, drafting a bill? What's where are we in the process? Right now, actually, uh, the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee. I'll give you another acronym: the Health Panel, <laughs> is uh, marking that bill up right now in the Senate. It's expected to pass today. Uh, in, in the Senate, in this particular committee, and then it will move to the Senate floor. The House is now beginning its own reauthorization process, and the hearing I spoke of earlier was a PADUFA hearing yesterday. And so uh, the Senate's going to pass a bill. The House, the thought is that they'll be moving a different way. Uh, House Democrats have been very, very outspoken about drug safety issues. They want to put perhaps more requirements in the Senate bill will. They want to, in the House, they want to have be a little um, uh, more aggressive on that respect, I believe. And that's what you'll see in the House debates. The Senate may move a bill perhaps fairly quickly. I think the House, it's going to be a longer process, and you'll hear lots and lots of discussion about, is FDA doing enough to protect the nation's drug supply, to protect consumers? What requirements should Congress put in this reauthorization of PDUFA to make sure that happens? If you have just joined us, this is ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. We're having a chat with Mary Agnes Carey, a healthcare reporter with Congressional Quarterly in Washington, about drugs, the cost of drugs, and the process for bringing drugs to market. Now, you talked about patents. Are patents part of the problem in the drug approval process or... Uh, or not. Here's a concern that if a drug stays on patent too long, a generic version, which is cheaper, can't get on the market. And so that's been uh, drug makers, if they were part of the conversation, would tell you about how they have to fend off unfair challenges or, or even generic competitors just putting a drug out there before it goes off patent. But another issue before Congress right now is getting a lot of attention are some settlements that are happening between the brand name manufacturers and the generic manufacturers that, in essence, once that drug has gone off patent and the generic company can step in and make it, the brand name company pays the generic company to not make the drug. Of course, generics make money in this. The generic manufacturer can make some money. The brand name makes money, but the consumer loses. Uh, this is a legitimate effort for the, I mean, this, they can do this. The brand name maker can pay the generic maker not to make the drug. It has happened, and then these are challenged, and they're being in court. Some of these things are being challenged, and they're also being looked at by Congress. The actual the very point you just make, is this legal? Is this correct? Do we need to pass legislation that uh, tightens current laws on this to prevent it from happening? In the Senate, you've got Herb Cole, who's head of the Aging Committee. He's a Democrat from Wisconsin, and Debbie Stabenow, a Democrat from Michigan, have legislation that would 
stop these sort of settlements from happening. So that is uh, where I see the patent issue kind of figuring in on the greater issue of drug cost because, of course, generics cost less than the brand names. Greater generic use, the more that occurs, the help that helps reduce drug expenditures nationally and individually for all of us. Well, I think the the you know we, it's easy to say that generics are cheaper, that lowers our healthcare costs, and uh, does all kinds of good things. I know that the brand name drug makers will say you know the problem is we invest all the money up front to produce these things in the first place. But it's great to have generics. We don't want the brand name people to overcharge us. But I worry a little bit about this, you know, generic drugs are great. They lower our health costs. We need more of them. That, that seems to be a kind of a reflexive answer. And I'm not entirely sure that that's right or that it's not always right. Well, in some cases, for example, as you look at the aging of the baby boomers, right, and you've got all millions and millions of people going into retirement. And granted, those today's baby boomers and the future baby boomers may be a little bit healthier than seniors have been historically. But as people age and go into the population, seniors tend to have these chronic conditions. So, for example, if you have more generic medications to treat cholesterol, which is a problem in that aging population, or heart disease, or uh, lung problems, that sort of thing, that is very, very helpful, but what you don't want is a disincentive to brand name companies to come out with new treatments and ostensibly better treatments because, as you know, drugs cost a lot of money, but they can also save a lot of money. They can keep people out of the hospital. Uh, they can help people manage disease, improve their quality of life, which is priceless for many people. So it's a delicate balance, and I think you've hit on it properly. It strikes me as a difficult thing to solve because between the FDA regulation, uh, the patent situation, the market forces that operate on the brand name makers and the generic makers, and whatever Congress has done and might do, you've got a market that in some respects is a free market and in some respects is a very regulated market. And uh, I think it's difficult to predict the consequences of any kind of tinkering that you do to such a complicated situation. Well, it is, but the, the driving factor here is everyone knows healthcare costs are climbing. Uh, prescription drugs are a part of that equation. They were rising by double digits in the 80s and part of the 90s, but they're slowing down. They're about 2004, for example, is a set of statistics. The increase, yearly increase in drugs was about 8%. Hospital and doctor services were rising about 9%. But look at overall drug expenditures. In 1990, there were about $40 billion spent on drugs, right? 2004, the most available statistics, that number was about $188.5 billion. And that is expected by 2015, the expenditures on drugs, rather, is going to climb to about $446.2 billion by an estimate. So if you're a member of Congress, if you're part of the medical community, if you're a patient, you know that getting a... controls, trying to figure out how to manage drug spending without having a disincentive for a brand name or without curbing the growth of generics, making sure that we all have access to medicines. It's a very difficult thing to to manage, as you note, but it's one that you almost have to if you're a lawmaker because our ability to compete globally is tied directly to healthcare expenditures. Lots of businesses will tell you that. GM, for example, it's been a big issue for them. Now, yeah, well, as soon as you say globally, of course, I think about drug prices in other countries, among other things, where, uh, you know, we've heard we've heard enough about Canada that we don't want to hear anymore. But, uh, you know, people in other places are paying less money for our drugs that we're paying more money for in some cases. That's why this issue example, Canada, as you know, is, is one. It's very, very common. You've got Americans that are 
uh, going online to get drugs from Canada. They'll go to Canada, bring them back. This whole issue of drug importation is huge on Capitol Hill. And the thing that's interesting about it is because it sort of splits the parties. It's not a traditional debate. It isn't like all Democrats are for it and all Republicans are against it. You have conservative Republicans who feel it's a free market issue. Why would I want to stop an American from buying drugs somewhere else? You have Democrats like John Dingell uh, of Michigan, who's a very liberal member, who feels this is a drug safety issue, that drug reimportation, drug importation is very, very dangerous. Uh, the drug industry, of course, has their voice in this debate. They say if you threaten the closed system of drugs we have here in the United States, you could risk Americans not only importing a drug that isn't safe, but they could go to the local drugstore and not have a drug on the shelf, have a counterfeit version that could possibly harm them. It's been a fascinating conversation, and we might have to have you back. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. My guest has been Mary Agnes Carey, a health care reporter with Congressional Quarterly in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. You have been listening to the Washington Health Report on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. We'd love to hear your comments and questions. Please send them to us. Our email is xm at reachmd.com. Thanks for joining us.